Trapcast Express. Trapcast Express, it's Friday, July 16th, 2021. Today's podcast program is not going to be a gloat fest. It is a serious analysis of today's developments put together with genuine Christian charity and solicitude for souls. It will be challenging to many, but it will also contain a little bit of humor. What will be said is not to condemn people, but to reach them. It is not a big, I told you so. So please listen to it attentively and listen all the way to the end. God bless you. All right, folks, the party is over. Today, the false pope in Rome, the Argentinian layman Jorge Bergoglio, stage name Francis, with the stroke of a pen, abrogated, suppressed, rescinded the 2007 motu proprio letter Summorum Pontificum of Father Joseph Ratzinger, stage name Benedict XVI, concerning the use of the traditional Latin Mass. Well, technically, it's the Roncalli Missile of 1962, but for all intents and purposes, we're talking about the traditional Mass. Today's podcast will be divided into three parts. First, we'll go through the new norms established by Francis. Second, we'll look at the accompanying explanatory letter that Francis released together with the document. And third, we'll provide some commentary on these developments to put everything in perspective. So, here we go. Summorum Pontificum is history. In its place, Francis has put his own norms, which are more restrictive even than those of John Paul II's Ecclesia Dei of 1988. The new norms re-establish the need for an indult, that is, a special permission from the local bishop to offer the traditional Mass. The document Francis released today is the motu proprio letter Traditionis Custodes, which means guardians of tradition, by which he is referring to the diocesan bishops. Here is a brief summary of the new norms, which are in effect immediately. There is no more ordinary or extraordinary form. The Novus Ordo Missae of Paul VI is the unique expression of the Lex Orandi of the Roman Rite. The diocesan bishop alone gets to regulate the liturgical celebrations in his diocese. The diocesan bishop is to determine whether any of the Latin mass groups in his diocese deny the validity or legitimacy of the Novus Ordo Missae, the new mass. The diocesan bishop is to designate specific locations where Latin mass goers may gather for their Eucharistic celebration. That's how Francis phrased it. It cannot be in parochial churches and no new personal parishes may be established. At those locations where the traditional Mass is permitted, the diocesan bishop is to establish specific days on which the traditional Latin Mass may be offered. When it is offered, the readings, meaning the Epistle and the Gospel, of the Latin Mass must be read in the vernacular language 
using a translation that the respective Episcopal Conference has approved for liturgical use. The diocesan bishop is to appoint a suitable priest who is entrusted not only with the celebration of the traditional missal, but also with the pastoral care of the people who attend it. He is to be animated by a lively pastoral charity and by a sense of ecclesial communion who also takes spiritual care of the people. No new Latin Mass communities or groups are to be established. Priests who are currently using the 1962 Missal must request permission from the local bishop to continue doing so. Priests who want to offer the traditional Mass for the first time after the publication of this decree must request permission from their bishop, who in turn must first consult the Holy See before granting that permission. Anything contradicting this new decree, Francis hereby abrogates no matter its authority. And finally, this new decree is in force immediately and will be published in the Acts of the Apostolic See, the official Vatican organ of promulgation. So these are the most important stipulations of the new decree. And it's obvious Francis is slowly phasing out the traditional Latin Mass. Now, though I enjoy predicting things, I found out I'm not very good at it, especially not when it comes to Francis. But I think that there are some effects that one can safely predict for sure. First, there will be great confusion, especially because the decree is already in effect. There are going to be all kinds of questions as to what is and isn't permissible now, what the correct interpretation should be, and that will just generate chaos. And uh, Mr. Zulstorf, uh, Father Z, is already talking about this on his blog. When Benedict XVI established Summorum Pontificum in 2007, he allowed over two months before the decree would take effect. Francis, on the other hand, wastes no time and makes his decree effective right away. The second effect that we can predict is that there will be dioceses in which the traditional missal is severely curtailed immediately, and there will be dioceses where the bishop will be very lenient and generous in allowing things to pretty much go on as before, and at least until further notice. So you will have a sort of good bishop, bad bishop kind of division, pretty much like before Samorum Pontificum. Third, the semi-traditionalist pundits and commentators in the Vatican II Church will try to come up with all kinds of arguments for why France's decree Traditiones Custodes is not binding, not truly a law, can be ignored, resisted, and so on, as they've already begun doing. Fourth, this development will drive a lot of people to the Lefebvreists, to the Society of St. Pius X, because since they don't submit to Francis, they couldn't care less about what he decrees about the Mass. They're doing their own thing. So a lot of people will simply go there if they can't get what they want from their diocese. And yes, 
we say Vacantists will also see an uptick in our churches, especially in areas where there is no Society of St. Pius X. Those, I think, are consequences we can definitely expect. And now, on to the second part of this podcast. Together with the release of Tradiciones Custodes, Francis also published an accompanying letter to his bishops explaining his reasons for taking this step of suppressing Samorum Pontificum. The letter is 13 paragraphs long, but we don't need to go through the whole thing. We can just look at the more salient points. First, Francis goes back to the reasons John Paul II and Benedict XVI had for allowing the wider use of the 1962 missile, which Benedict called the extraordinary form of the one Roman rite. And Francis points out quite correctly that it was to keep those who prefer the traditional Mass from leaving the Church, essentially. And of course, he means the Vatican II Church. But now, after well over a decade of Samorum Pontificum, Francis found out, by means of surveying every diocese in the world, that a lot of people, not excluding priests, in those traditional Latin Mass communities are opposed to some degree or another to both the Second Vatican Council and also the new Mass of Paul VI, the Novus Ordo Misse, which was instituted around 1970. Francis writes the following in his letter, quote, But I am nonetheless saddened that the instrumental use of Missale Romanum, the Roman Missal, of 1962 is often characterized by a rejection not only of the liturgical reform, but of the Vatican Council II itself, claiming with unfounded and unsustainable assertions that it betrayed the tradition and the true church, unquote. And he puts true church in quotes. Now, this is very interesting because that is exactly what a lot of the traditional Mass people in the Vatican II Church believe, that the Council and the new Mass are a betrayal of the faith, because, of course, they are. So, Francis is actually spot on in his analysis. The problem is that he's representing the wrong side. Further, Francis notes, quote, Ever more plain in the words and attitudes of many is the close connection between the choice of celebrations according to the liturgical books prior to Vatican Council II and the rejection of the Church and her institutions in the name of what is called the true Church. One is dealing here with comportment that contradicts communion and nurtures the divisive tendency. I belong to Paul. I belong instead to Apollo, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Christ. Here he's quoting the first letter of the Corinthians. Against which the apostle Paul so vigorously reacted, in defense of the unity of the body of Christ, I am constrained to revoke the faculty granted by my predecessors. The distorted use that has been made of this faculty is contrary to the intentions that led to granting the freedom to celebrate the Mass with the Missale Romanum of 1962, unquote. From his perspective, 
from France's perspective, from the perspective of Vatican II and the new mass being good and legitimate, this is entirely right and makes perfect sense. See, from the very beginning, the traditional mass indult was meant to keep people from defecting from the new religion of Vatican II. But now that Francis has discovered that it has become a sort of beacon against Vatican II and the new mass, well, of course, it only makes sense for him to forbid it. Now, there is one sentence in the text at which I burst out laughing, and it's this one. Francis writes, quote, Vatican Council II, while it reaffirmed the external bonds of incorporation in the Church, the profession of faith, the sacraments of communion, affirmed with St. Augustine that to remain in the Church, not only with the body, but also with the heart, is a condition for salvation, unquote. <laughs> I had to laugh at that, because here Francis suddenly pretends to be concerned about the salvation of souls. If there's one thing in the world that this man doesn't care about, it's the salvation of souls. Remember, this guy believes that good atheists go to heaven, that God wants there to be a diversity of different religions, and that people from any religion are part of the people of God. Now, for him to now feign concern for the salvation of souls is hypocrisy on stilts. This man's doctrine of salvation is basically soup kitchens and a hug. Now, further on in his explanatory letter on Tradiciones Custodes, Francis writes about the, writes the following about the traditional Roman rite. Quote, Without denying the dignity and grandeur of this rite, the bishops gathered in ecumenical council asked that it be reformed. Their intention was that the faithful would not assist as strangers and silent spectators in the mystery of faith, but with a full understanding of the rites and prayers would participate in the sacred action consciously, piously, and actively. Unquote. Yeah, that worked out great, didn't it? Um, look, the average Novus Ordo pew sitter is utterly clueless about Catholic doctrine on the Holy Mass. And chances are you agree with that assessment if you're listening to this podcast. Next, Francis tells something very significant to his bishops. He says, quote, It is up to you to authorize in your churches as local ordinaries the use of the Missale Romanum of 1962 applying the norms of the present motu proprio. It is up to you to proceed in such a way as to return to a unitary form of celebration and to determine case by case the reality of the groups which celebrate with this Missale Romanum. Indications about how to proceed in your dioceses are chiefly dictated by two principles. On the one hand, to provide for the good of those who are rooted in the previous form of celebration and need to return in due time to the Roman rite promulgated by Saints Paul VI and John Paul II, and, on the other hand, to discontinue the erection of new personal parishes 
tied more to the desire and wishes of individual priests than to the real need of the holy people of God, unquote. Bam! So the matter is clear. Francis wants to phase out the traditional Mass. He wants a return to a unitary form of celebration of Mass, which is the Novus Ordo Misse of Saint Paul VI, who upon his death stunk so badly that they had to open the casket and put more formaldehyde in it for the funeral, but that's not our topic now. Ladies and gentlemen, this whole narrative of how Benedict has freed the Mass, and now it will all be going back to the way it was before Vatican II, brick by brick, that narrative was fantasy. It was the illusions or deliberate deceptions of false prophets. It's a little commentary there by me. Francis ends his letter on a funny note, saying that he wants his bishops to, quote, be vigilant in ensuring that every liturgy be celebrated with decorum and fidelity to the liturgical books promulgated after Vatican Council II without the eccentricities that can easily degenerate into abuses, unquote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the guy talking who had a tango mass in Buenos Aires, and at whose World Youth Day Mass in 2013, the Novus Ordo Eucharist was distributed from disposable plastic cups. Yeah, that guy is concerned about liturgical abuse. Mm -hmm. About as much as he is about the salvation of souls. All right, thus far, the two documents issued by the false pope today. And now for some commentary. What we're witnessing here, ladies and gentlemen, is the inevitable consequence of the radical incompatibility of the real Roman Catholic Mass with the new religion of Vatican II. The two simply do not go together, and that is why there will always be tension between the two, and in the end, the one must give way to the other. See, the traditional Roman Mass is the liturgical expression of the traditional Roman Catholic faith. The new Mass of 1969 and after is the liturgical expression of the Vatican II religion. But the Roman Catholic faith is not compatible with the Vatican II religion, and so neither is the traditional Roman Rite compatible with the Novus Ordo Rite. Ratzinger used his Hegelian mind to come up with this idea of two forms of the same single Roman rite, but that was pure fiction, dreamed up to keep people from abandoning the Vatican II Church, and we told you that at Novus Ordo Watch from the beginning. But a lot of people didn't want to hear that. It was so much more comforting to live in La La Land with Ratzinger and all the beautiful externals, and so the reassuring lie was preferred over the inconvenient truth. The one thing every practicing Catholic comes most frequently in contact with is Sunday Mass. It's not a papal encyclical. It's not catechism class. It's not a papal address. It's Mass. So when the traditional Latin Mass became widely available with Samorum Pontificum, that allowed people 
to mask the ugly reality of the Vatican II Church. Even though Francis taught and legislated all sorts of crazy, blasphemous, heretical, evil things, people still had their mass. And so in their own little world, all was well. They could pretty much tune out of the Novus Ordo religion and just hide. And as long as they acknowledged Francis as Pope, so they thought they were faithful Catholics, even though it would never occur to them for a moment to actually accord him what Catholic dogma and doctrine teach about the papacy. Chad Ripperger, Peter Kwasniewski, Taylor Marshall, and Steve Skojek were their sources for theology, not the pre-Vatican II theology books. That traditional Catholic mask over the gruesome reality of the apostate Vatican II Church made everything somewhat bearable. And so now everyone is in meltdown mode because Francis has done the unthinkable. He has stripped that mask away, revealing in all its ugliness the truth about the Vatican II Church. Come on, folks, you know that the thought of assisting at the regular Novus Ordo Mass in the local parish is insufferable for most of the recognize and resist traditionalists who found their safe Samorum Pontificum haven somewhere. And here I'm not trying to assign personal blame or judge anyone or measure people's guilt or any of that. Okay, That's not what this is about. It's totally understandable, humanly speaking, right? These people just want to be Catholics. They want to be left alone. They don't want Pachamama. They don't want Laudato Si or human fraternity. They don't want Vatican II. They don't want the new mass. They don't want any of this garbage. I totally commiserate. But the reality is what it is. The Vatican II sect is an infernal counterfeit of the Roman Catholic Church, and Francis has bent over backwards to make that clear. Come on, folks. The truth of the matter is staring us all in the face. And so, today, God has given the world a great grace, actually. He has allowed Francis to remove the traditional mask that was Samorum Pontificum. Look at it. Look at what you see now. Is that the Catholic Church Jesus Christ built and established? Is that the Ark of Salvation which God has guaranteed will never fail? Does the man you believe is Pope have the unfailing faith of Peter, as Vatican I teaches? What is the point of a church that must constantly be resisted in order not to go to hell? Is that the church Christ established? Is that the church you teach your children Christ established? Other than a kind of outward organizational continuity, what sort of continuity, what identity does this apostate Vatican II church have with the Roman Catholic Church of Pope Pius XII? So, obviously, the question is, what happened here? Where is the Catholic Church? Folks, I wish I had a clean, easy answer, but I'm afraid it's all very complicated. There's much we don't know, but we can't run away from this because these are the cards we've been dealt. 
And that starts with acknowledging that we don't have all the answers, although we do have some. And so we have to proceed very systematically, very methodically. And that means that we can and must reject what is a genuine contradiction, because contradictions are always impossible. That's why I always say that knowing where the church is begins by knowing where she is not. And so we know that the apostate establishment currently occupying the beautiful Catholic buildings in the Vatican cannot be the Roman Catholic Church. It cannot be because that church in, in the Vatican, that's in the Vatican now, that church has obviously failed. Okay? It's Pachamama Church. Whereas Christ promised that the Catholic Church would never fail, and we know even apart from faith, just from the motives of credibility, that the Catholic Church is the true church founded by Christ. Is the true church in eclipse? Most definitely so. It is Catholic dogma that the church is visible, but visibility does not preclude an eclipse because the ability to be seen and actually being seen at all times, those are two different things. And no, there is no alternative. See, in 1885, Pope Leo XIII issued the apostolic letter Epistola Tua, in which he taught the following, quote, It is to give proof of a submission which is far from sincere to set up some kind of opposition between one pontiff and another. Those who, faced with two differing directives, reject the present one to hold to the past are not giving proof of obedience to the authority which has the right and duty to guide them. And in some ways, they resemble those who, on receiving a condemnation, would wish to appeal to a future council or to a pope who is better informed. Unquote. That is the traditional Catholic teaching but the Society of St. Pius X didn't tell you that, did they? Folks, if you're trying to figure out what the heck has happened to the Catholic Church, if you're beginning to suspect that maybe the Vatican II Church truly cannot be that Catholic Church that was once shepherded by Pope Pius XII, then please go to novusordowatch.org slash now what. That's now what? One word. NovusOrdoWatch.org slash now what? And find some answers and definitely some helpful and comforting advice there and many resources. Ladies and gentlemen, today, July 16th, is the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It is also World Snake Day. No, that's not a joke. You can look it up. It's Our Lady versus the snake, the serpent. We know which side Francis is on, and we know who will win. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate. 